easy to say it's it's for the commission the commission is uh, highly unpopular anyway so let them do the dirty work and we will wait and see it is a highly sensitive topic and i was sitting vis-a-vis uh, -vis five people who are supposed to interpret law to give judgments and i could tell you i could see fear in their eyes the reality is in this situation the death of the rule of law is equivocation the death of the rule of law is equivalence the death of the rule of law is saying, you know what, no one's perfect, let's all just get along. Rule of law concerns have been plaguing the union for the better part of the last decade and don't appear to be going anywhere. At a recent EPC event, organized as part of our Connecting Europe project, and in cooperation with Democracy Reporting International, European Commission Vice President for Values and Transparency Vera Jourova spoke about the current state of rule of law proceedings and elaborated on the new Commission's plans to counter democratic backsliding in the member states. My name is Rebecca Gustamans, Head of Communications at the European Policy Center, and this is the EPC Podcast. In recent years, there's been a growing concern over democratic backsliding in several EU member states. In Poland, the current government has made numerous attempts to gain control over the judiciary. In Hungary, Viktor Orban has introduced his own type of illiberal democracy, which is at odds with some of the Union's core values. The triggering of Article 7, sometimes described as the nuclear option as it could result in the suspension of a member state's right to vote on EU decisions, has not led to either country changing tactics. With rule of law concerns now being raised in Bulgaria, Romania and Malta too, this subject will continue to be a top priority for the new von der Leyen Commission. What follows is a report from a recent EPC event. You will first hear Vice President Jourova give a keynote speech, followed by excerpts from the panel discussion. The question on everyone's mind was, does the EU have what it takes to safeguard the rule of law? I would say yes, but it, it depends what we mean by the EU. If it is Brussels, who I represent here, I think the EU are the people living in the EU. I know it's very wide, wide definition, but uh, we, of course, when we when we look at the the system, we have to see the institutions, European institutions, member states, executive, judiciary, legislative branch, so constitutional system. But we should look more. We should look at the civil society, which should be also safeguarding the rule of law in the state. And what about the citizens? The voters, when I look at the, the whole picture, I, I'm more and more convinced that if all the actors do not want to maintain the rule of law in the respective countries, we will, we will fail. And I think it's a very demanding task, especially because it's not easy to define the, what the rule of law is. When we cannot define something, we can hardly defend it. We have to try. And still, I think we need democracy, we need fundamental rights, we need rule of law uh, as, as an existential matter. Something like air, when we, when we don't have air, we, we will cease to exist. And uh, for me, this is the main concern. And this is, I think, where we all have to 
to work better, to speak uh, to our citizens uh, that the rule of law is uh, something which is existentially important for everybody, for every citizen, that it is uh, about the limitation of powers. I lived half of my life in communist regime. I know how it feels to live in the country where there is unlimited power. I remember autocrats. I remember the state judiciary, the judges who were not the servants of the state or the servants of the people living in the state. I remember judges who were servants of the state, of the party and of the government. I remember times when we were whispering at home because the freedom of speech was absolute dream, only a dream. And when I hear sometimes, Jourova is from the east of Europe, she will be weak for working on rule of law. I have a simple answer, that's why, because I am from the east. So the, the way we, we are going to work on, on the rule of law principle is that we will work in three strands. One strand will be continuing the processes uh, related to Poland, Hungary, uh, and, and some, some other countries where we have the, the, some, some corresponding communication, uh, uh, such as uh, Romania, Bulgaria, you know that we are still running the, the mechanism, monitoring mechanism of, of the judiciary system. Uh, we are in dialogue with, with Malta. For this uh, legal uh, tool, uh, legal toolbox we have, of course, uh, we as a commission uh, have never declared that we are a European police or a European judge. We are doing our job, assessing the situation in the countries uh, when they uh, adopt new legislation, and in case we see that it's in breach with European Union law, we uh, launch the infringement process. And there are several infringement procedures now up and running uh, for Poland and, and for Hungary, uh, for, for many other countries. And uh, we are always uh, impatiently waiting for the uh, case law uh, by the Court of Justice, which is the only uh, and highest interpreter of the law. Remember my sentence at the beginning, we have to define the rule of law to be able to defend it. And the definitions of what the rule of law means are always well uh, presented in the uh, case law, in, in, the, in the decisions of the court. There are several important decisions from the, uh, from the recent time. One is that it is a European matter. Uh, we fully recognize the sovereign power and competence of the states to reform judiciary system, to reform prosecution. But when it comes to the situation when it is disbalancing the constitutional powers and when uh, there is a risk of, of uh, breaching the rule of law principle, it is a European matter because at that moment all the member states wake up and ask whether they can their courts, whether they can recognize the decisions of the courts in the respective country. Our European justice system is based on mutual trust, and it has been emphasized and, and described very clearly in the decision of the European Court of Justice. The national judges are also European judges because they apply European law. 
And when I look into our toolbox, um, of course, there is Article 7. Article 7 is one of the uh, very sensitive uh, articles in the treaty. We have to continue the process in, uh, in the General Affairs Council. We need the member states to have a responsible say because it is the club of states, among other things. So uh, I am sure that at some moment the Commission had to stop the internal work and uh, bilateral action and, and dialogue with, with Poland, and we were obliged to put it on the table of the member states. On Hungary, it was not the Commission, it was the Parliament which put the Article 7 procedure uh, uh, which, which triggered it and we, we have the dialogue. Some say that it doesn't have teeth. Some say that we have not achieved any progress. I don't agree with this. But the fact that we speak in an intelligent way about what's happening in the countries and that we hear the opinions of the member states, it is important uh, itself. The rule of law is the principle without which the single market cannot work. And as, as you know, we publish every year the so-called European Semester, which uh, is a, a description of the economic condition of the states. And there is always a chapter about the functioning judiciary, uh, which is important for, for good economic uh, condition. The second is the, the dialogue uh, with, with the states, especially with the states where we uh, see problems. Uh, it's always important not to close the door. And it's not only in international policy, but, uh, but here among uh, us, uh, it's important that, that we continue explaining to each other what, what's happening and what, what is the longer term plan. For me now, it's important to understand what's planned in Poland for uh, in a longer term vision. I studied very carefully uh, what uh, the leading party was promising before the elections. They promised to continue the reforms. And my ans answer is, uh, fair enough, could you please share with us the parameters? Because we want the member states to reform judiciary. Uh, the processes are too, low, too, too slow and the people complain that to access justice is too difficult, too costly and so on. Uh, so, uh, I'd like to understand especially the long-term plan and I, I really try hard to get to, to the relevant partners in Poland. The, the same applies to, to Malta. Of course, Hungary uh, is a, a stable uh, target group for me uh, for, for a dialogue. The third strand is the preventive arm. This is a new thing. We need to compare all the member states and their constitutional systems. What I hear very often, especially from countries like Poland, uh, that we criticize them that they kind of paralyzed the constitutional tribun uh, tribunal. Uh, and the, uh, the, uh, the argument is, but some countries do not have such tribunal. So my answer is, but they have some other body which is there uh, authorized to to check the constitutionality of legislation. It doesn't have to be constitutional tribunal. In other words, we have 20, still 28, unique constitutional systems. 
which have somehow balanced powers. And we never did such assessment, whether there are some gaps and whether this is a well-balanced system. Uh, there was a recent case law of, of the European Court of Justice towards uh, Germany and, and their pro prosecutor's office. So uh, it is, uh, it is uh, not only the case of, of Poland and Hungary. And uh, we need to compare the states. And we will be comparing constitutional uh, powers and balancing. Uh, we will assess judicial system especially independence. We will assess the intensity of the fight against corruption, and we will assess media freedom. So this will be the annual report. We will have the results, hopefully, um, in the second half of this year. And uh, I want to do it together with the member states so that they have a say on the methodology for the assessment because this is not assessing the fiscal policy where we count the numbers. This is more sophisticated, more subtle uh, sphere. Where it's, it's not easy to measure things. We have to assess. And we will work with this assessment uh, actively. Uh, one of the possibilities how we shall use this paper will be uh, to use, uh, to apply uh, the measure uh, related to the budget, the mechanism of uh, cutting the money to the state which is not uh, respecting the rule of law. Is it draconic? Yes, it is draconic especially towards the people who do not deserve it, the, the citizens, the NGOs, the, 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 the mayors. So we embed it into this proposal also some mechanism not to punish anyone but just to to be clear that the money will not go to autocrats. We still don't know if this will be adopted because of course it's a, a sensitive uh, piece of legislation and it requires unanimity from the side of the state. states. So we will see. Following Jourova's speech, the panelists had the following to say about whether or not the EU has what it takes to safeguard the rule of law. MEP Terry Reintke, Member of Committee on Civil Liberties, Justice and Home Affairs. If we have to answer that question, does the EU have what it takes to safeguard uh, the rule of law? I would actually not say yes, but I would say no, not at the moment. Because we have seen that the Article 7 procedure, as much of an important tool it is, and as much as it has already started creating debates, which I think is absolutely important in a structured dialogue, I think we have also seen that it's too inflexible and very often comes too late. And I just want to reflect very briefly on a meeting I had last week with Polish judges. And I was sitting vis-a-vis uh, -vis five people who are supposed to interpret law to give judgments and I could tell you I could see fear in their eyes and this is an, a situation that for me very clearly shows that at the moment we are not ready to, to fully safeguard rule of law inside of the European Union. Now obviously uh, the Commissioner has already mentioned it, the rule of law mechanism will be the big discussion we want it to be an umbrella mechanism that can really bring together the different instruments that we already have uh, at hand right now because 
as she said, I think sometimes these instruments are used in a very incoherent way. So we should really try to, to put all of this together. I would just like to mention three points where I think with a proposal that has been communicated, maybe we can still see a little bit of uh, improvement. The first one is on the scope. As you know, the European Parliament would like to go further and not only focus on the independence of judiciary, but also focus on fundamental rights, because very often we see that it's not only a text directly on the judiciary that make it difficult especially when it comes also about drinking space for civil society. So I think having that um, would add to, to the mechanism. The second point is um, that we would like to see independent experts. So to have this procedure not in the hands of the commission per se, obviously there will be the ones doing it, but then to have a panel of independent experts. And here I just want to mention, I mean, I'm convinced that the commission would do a good job. But if I'm a citizen in a country where this debate has been heavily politicized, the commission has been attacked, I think having a more independent panel where experts can give uh, opinion about the rule of law situation uh, would be very useful to, to make this procedure legalistically um, well, maybe easier to defend. And then lastly, and this is indeed a point that we will have to look at um, very closely, is the consequences that it has. Because already now we see that EU funds are being used to basically back author more and more authoritarian um, ways of doing governments. We see that in Hungary, my former colleague Benedikt Java just uh, gave out a study where you can see how the distribution of EU funds is specifically being used um, to well, reward and at the same time sanction um, people who are not in line with the government line. I think we have to be very clear about this in the future discussions and we always have to see that as one of the, of the so to say, uh, bits, pu puzzle pieces in order to really make uh, the EU ready to safeguard rule of law. Ralf Kisner, head of unit at DG Justice and Home Affairs, Horizontal Matters, from the General Secretariat of the Council. There's a clear realization of what is at stake. Yeah. It is not taken lightly. Uh, internal market, we heard the, the uh, justice mutual recognition system. It is uh, foreign policy credibility. A lot of issues are at stake. But, and there's, I think, one element that has to be underlined uh, it is a highly sensitive topic. You know, this is not the uh, off-the-shelf uh, legal issue where you run down the legal analysis, you come to the conclusion, whoop, you slap a fine on the person. There we, you are in a totally different uh, territory. You know, we have national sovereignty, we have uh, democratically elected governments who are representing their people. And uh, uh, we have is the heads of governments directly involved in many of these issues. So it's not in a, such a straightforward legal issue, the rule of law. Yeah? And plus, it also doesn't help, of course, that governments don't like to put each other on trial. The, the Article 7 procedure in the Council, for that reason, also is perhaps not quite as breathtaking as some people would like to see it. Yeah? As a tribunal, uh, put the defendant on the, on the south seat and everybody else is... Uh, is now investigating, examining, uh, cross-examining witnesses, and then uh, issuing a judgment. It's, it's not like just uh, so straightforward. Um, but it's probably not fair to just discard the Article 7 as totally irrelevant altogether, because there are clear uh, si signals and signs that the Article 7 process has, has made governments fully aware of the situations, 
the Article 7 procedure sends a certain signal to the to the countries in question, to the uh, citizens of that country, that uh, governments uh, take this issue seriously. And uh, therefore, we still feel Article 7 has a makes sense, yeah? although we can understand why uh, Article 7 is also not always being admired uh, for its results. Uh, then where do we stand? The, the Court of Justice uh, has, in all of this debate, been absolutely key now. I think without the, uh, the support of the court, it would be very difficult for the, to, to, to move the, the discussion on these files forward as, as they are moving forward for the time being. You know, this is uh, the, to mark the fact that the EU does have a role in, in looking at rule of law is a, a, a quite a development compared to five years ago. You know, this was not so obvious. And, and many, many uh, very learned uh, law lawyers would have said, no, 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 you don't have a role. Uh, then where do we go from here? It's, uh, I'm a little bit heartened by what happened in 2008 when the financial crisis struck and uh, all of a sudden the situation was so uh, dramatic for the Eurozone that governments accepted, for instance, uh, a monitoring by the Commission of Fiscal Policy. Yeah, uh, No-go zone before. Yeah, uh, clearly a zone, an area where all of a sudden, once the situation is ripe, the EU can change tack also on, on, a, on, a, on a very strategic issue. And this could, uh, the momentum is building, I think, at the moment to see the same thing in the, in the rule of law area. Where should the EU then act? Uh, the, the most important area of action is probably the analytical capability of the Union to to out to, to look at evaluate situations and and uh, make recommendations for action before you need to act with sanctions because the sanctions are difficult to to implement. It is far better to to try to uh, to work upstream. Also, perhaps with the idea to build capacity in member states which are struggling perhaps a little bit. You know, why shouldn't the union be able to offer uh, uh, more assistance then to, to strengthen the judiciary, to, uh, to make sure that uh, the, the process works in a better way? Uh, so, so what the Commission has proposed, I think the Council by and large accepts very much that there is a need for this annual rule of law cycle, that it will help that we very much hope that there is a that this is not a, a 150 page uh, document that says ultimately not much but rather a 20 page document that also uh, has courage to to point to the to the difficulties and make uh, operational suggestions yeah i think member states would uh, very much like then to turn this into a real cycle that involves all institutions because uh, clearly it is not uh, only for the Commission or the Council or the Parliament. This is a, a joint endeavor of the Union uh, to make sure that this uh, happens and of course the member states at national level. Uh, time is ripe clearly for the EU to, uh, to become more serious about protecting the rule of law and uh, we shouldn't underestimate though the, uh, the sensitivity of the uh, of the whole issue. Joelle Grogan, senior lecturer and legal academic at Middlesex University, London. I think the first duty of academics in this debate and in this conversation is to distinguish between what is oppressive and what is merely offensive. 
I can look at many government policies throughout the world and I can say that is deeply offensive to my moral, that's deeply offensive to the principles that I hold dear, but it is not oppressive. But one thing that I can say with absolute sincerity, well, the two things I can say with sincerity is this is not normal. This is not a normal situation that will resolve in the next election. This is not a situation that should be concerned because it's offensive or merely offensive. This is oppressive. We are talking about oppressive reforms. And the second truth, again, something that's a universal between both Brexit and what we're discussing in this room, is it affects everyone. L'union, c'est pas juste moi, c'est nous. The union, the European Union, affects everyone. The rule of law is not a good idea just because it's a good value that we put in Article 2. Uh, you know, human rights sound great or democracy is something we should really aim for. The rule of law is foundational because it's in so much the best interest of everyone, not just the individual subject to the state, not just the individual going to court, but the idea that the law is certain, the law applies equally to everyone, and that I won't have better treatment just because I'm best friends or cousins with some government minister, that's of universal importance to business, to investment, to the internal market, to the citizen, to the individual, to the migrant, to the refugee. The rule of law is important because it is important for everyone. Now, the next part, I think, and my, my job here is really to frame it. And I think the easiest frame uh, for when we discuss does the EU have what it takes to safeguard the rule of law is to say there's a distinction between what the, what the European Union can do and what the European Union should do. And that distinction between descriptive and normative is entirely based on political will. Is there sufficient political will to bring in necessary legislative action? And in this case, I'm talking about potentially European structural funds, the conditionality of the rule of law, or even pushing forward on the idea of a public prosecutor in the EU to challenge corruption and to challenge the misuse of EU funds versus, and this is what we're hearing a lot of, what the EU is doing or can do. And we're seeing that not only, in, not only in terms of answering those preliminary references, those, those great calls from many countries saying, look at us, look at whether or not we are independent, look at us, the judges, and whether or not we are able to rule or whether or not we are subject to something else other than justice. But what I'm deeply concerned about is if nothing is done, we are going to witness the breakdown of mutual trust. Increasingly, we will move to isolation of the problem rather than addressing the problem. We will have national courts moving forward to stop recognizing the judgments, stop recognizing the European arrest warrants, potentially stop recognizing any aspect of cooperation between member states. And that goes to the very core of what the European Union is about, which is union. At the point we are starting to trust or rely on member states to start ignoring one another as an answer to the rule of law concerns, that's deep and that's long term. We should consider the distinction between what the EU can do and what it should do. We consider the importance of infringement actions and ultimately we should consider the relevance of Article 7, but also knowing that it's not the end, it's not the answer. It is not the nuclear option, it's more like a damp squib. We cannot rely on the assumption that someone else will do something. Because my deepest concern is, 
you'll rely on the academics to spend the next 10 years talking about what we should have done right now. Another hot topic of debate was the proposal to include rule of law conditionality in the next EU budget. The substance has been considered so uh, sensitive that it has become part of the MFF package. And the MFF package basically is the part of the future budget that will be agreed by heads of state and government. So this, this tiny box out of the overall big MFF uh, contains also this proposal, which may, that's why to some extent uh, unanimity will be required to just get it, to get the ball rolling. <laughs> uh, and it, it's not a bad thing that uh, it is not a standalone proposal <laughs> in a sense, because yes, the union is about uh, policy making and at, at the highest level, uh, there will be trade-offs. Uh, trade-offs are being made all the time between the various issues at stake and uh, and that might be uh, a way to get agreement also on this uh, proposal mm -hmm. but it is very difficult to judge at this stage because of course as long as the MFF is not agreed uh, this core package of the MFF there's also no agreement on this element so um, yeah, it's not easy uh, I, I just wanted to politicize it maybe a little bit more because, yes, you can see it from a very diplomatic point of view like the Council and Commission have shown now. I think effectively for me what is happening, indeed it's qualified majority, so this proposal could go through as a regulation, but then two member states, as far as I'm aware, Hungary and Poland, have said that they are not going to give their consent to the multi-annual financial framework if this proposal goes through. And I must say, to me, this is keeping hostage. This is a super aggressive way of trying to push your will on the other member states. And I don't think that this is something that we should accept as the European Union. I think if we start off here, if we say there is a legitimate concern about breaches of rule of law and we would like to have this in one or the other way covered also in the financial uh, regulation uh, uh, in the European Union, and then two member states who are most concerned in this debate are saying we are not going to have this, I don't think that this is how we should do politics on the European level. And I think that we have to stand really, really strong and clear and say that we are not going to let it happen like this, because honestly, if we start off with this, we can go down a very, very difficult line. I think we have already seen this with a couple of migration files in the past. If this is going to be be the way that we negotiate in the future, this project is not going to last long anymore. So I really think that we have to be stronger in positioning ourselves, that we have to defend this regulation. Uh, there, is a, there is an argument to be made that the common provisions regulation, and I think it's Article 142, but anyone in the room, correct me, could be reinterpreted in light of the Court of Justice, uh, Court of Justice um, judgment in this area to say that there should be a suspension of uh, certain funds in the case of a misuse or mismanagement um, about the, well, essentially saying that there's no effective use uh, or effective management and control. But essentially, if and it's very likely this piece of legislation won't work exactly for what's just been described in terms of the lack of political will. We might see lawyers uh, become more imaginative into the use and interpretation of current and existing regulations in terms of the management, control and functioning of funds coming from the EU. Before wrapping up, the speakers reflected on what the rule of law actually means. You can negotiate, of course, everything to some extent because if we discuss about definitions, the rule of law is, of course, not, yeah, uh, it's been said, it's not so easy to say what is now inside the box, what is outside the box. 
But most people will say, well, if I, at least when I, I, I will know it when I see it then, yeah, at least. Uh, so, uh, and there's, of course, important input from the Venice Commission, yes. And, and uh, why not add media, media pluralism and, and, and perhaps corruption too? Yeah, it, it depends on the case probably and how systemic the whole thing is. Uh, I just want to highlight one thing. I think that constantly saying that rule of law is something that is basically impossible to define and it's so complex and so difficult can also be an instrument to avoid a clear discussion about what it actually means. So I, I think there are a lot of different sources that we should get information from, but at the same time, I mean, I just want to tell you one anecdote and I don't have to be a lawyer to know that there is something wrong with rule of law in a situation like this. There was a prosecutor at that meeting last week and the prosecutor was uh, answering to some of my colleagues from the, from the government party in Poland who had been given criticism about judgments that uh, some judges had made. And the prosecutor made a very important point, I, I think, because he said in a democracy where rule of law is in place, you don't create discipl disciplinary measures for judges to be sanctioned or to be punished if they make wrong, wrong judgments, you appeal to the judgment. And I think in, in that moment, I mean, it became so clear to me, yes, there is a breach of rule of law and that's obvious to anyone. So let's talk about the definition, but let's not fall into the trap of saying, yeah, it's so complicated. We don't really know what it is. It's somewhere blurry out there, but let's still say rule of law can be defined and it has to be used in, in this discussion around safeguarding democracy. We're all talking about the same thing, even if we are using different words. We are all understanding the same issues, even if we are using different phrasing about what, what is at issue. So I think ultimately it reaches to the real point, which is not, is there too many difference or is there too many different opinions about what the concept of the rule of law means, but essentially, it's going for the death of the moral argument. The death of the moral argument is hypocrisy. How dare you look at my state, look at yours. How dare you accuse me of this, look at what you do. But the reality is in this situation, the death of the rule of law is equivocation. The death of the rule of law is equivalence. The death of the rule of law is saying, you know what, no one's perfect, let's all just get along. After the event, I caught up with MEP Terry Reintke and legal expert Joel Grogan to discuss their idea of having an independent organization monitoring the EU rule of law proceedings and of an EU prosecutor. And there was also mentioning of the possibility of setting up an, an independent uh, medium or authority or organization to, to assess possible breaches of rule of law, so something beside the commission, could that maybe be a way out? Because currently the, the role of the, of the commission is highly politicized. Certainly, this goes to one of the key challenges for the Commission, which is, in some cases, they are both investigator and prosecutor, which, once you combine those two, uh, those two roles and responsibilities, is quite an issue for the rule of law in and of itself, in the separation of these very important responsibilities. But one of the proposals that are being made is the continuance, it's already a proposal, but to bring about a public prosecutor's office, an EU public prosecutor, that would focus on addressing or prosecuting the misuse and abuse of EU funds. Now, this would be a separate independent body and try and get away from that political and politicized mm -hmm. actions that we were talking about earlier. 
The European Parliament has always called for a panel of independent experts that should be part of um, the assessment of member states um, when we write reports um, because we think that, yes, there are good sources already now, um, but we should also have one of these panels uh, inside of uh, the European Union uh, mechanism. Um, now, we still don't see the readiness from the Commission uh, to support this proposal, but when um, the concrete legislation is on the table, this debate um, will certainly come up and then I'm very sure that the European Parliament is going to fight for that. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely clear that member states have to feel consequences when they're in breach of the rule of law. It cannot just be a monitoring um, mechanism, it has to be something that is actually felt in um, the member states. We here at the EPC, and especially my colleagues from the Connecting Europe project, will continue to follow the developments in the rule of law in the EU. So subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. For more information, please visit www.epc.eu. Hopefully you'll tune in next time. Until then, over and out. <laughs>